Hey friends, so if you are a physical education teacher or you happen to work in a school environment, then this is the perfect episode for you. So in this episode, I'm joined by Mark Friedrich, who works at Milburn High School in Milburn, New Jersey, and has an incredible adventure program. So I'm really fortunate to be able to talk to him all about how he has created this adventure program in the school, and we go into detail about his curriculum design. Thank you, Mark, for joining us. Thank you for listening. My name is Phil. Welcome to Vertical Playpen, and let's begin the episode. Something I often ask people in this podcast is their road to the position they're in now. And other than going to your teacher background, I'm actually more interested in your adventure ed background. At what point did you find adventure ed and decide, I want to bring us into the classroom environment as a phys ed teacher? I was hired here at the high school in Melbourne, New Jersey uh, in 2004. And I was already in my 10th year as a public school physical education teacher. So as a new teacher, if someone asks you to go for training because they're thinking of adding a new program, you of course will say, I'll do it because I'll do anything I can to help the the school population. So I was sent down to uh, Covington, Georgia for adventure programming and I fell in love with it right away. Uh, I had two other colleagues come with me. We taught three of us uh, our brand new adventure education program at Milburn High School for about three years. And then all of a sudden, one person retired. The other person was too involved with coaching. and could not do a good enough job with it and made the responsible decision to step away from it because they were missing too much class time. And around 2009, 2010, I became the uh, only adventure education certified teacher here in the Melbourne public school system, which is fine. I love that because I've taken it under my wing and have turned this program, which started out as just six high elements into now over 20 high elements, which in New Jersey is one of the biggest public school courses. Along the way, I did take plenty of training through uh, Plymouth State University. I took the master's program. I visited High Five Adventure Learning Center. I visited all over the Northeast, other places as well. I met some phenomenal trainers, uh, but it was, it was one of the one and only Chris Ortiz who really ignited a fire under me where I sat there at this, you know, workshop up in Newport, Rhode Island. And I said, I can do this. I can bring the passion that he's bringing and I can have the confidence. And I just started I started going for more training and I started doing workshops as far as team building and bringing the same energy that, that Chris brought for that, that workshop I did. And then I've said, you know what, let me turn this into a summer job as well. And I headed up the camp Riverbend uh, high ropes program, which is a seven week program for elementary age children. So from ages four to 13, I'm working with those adventurers all summer long. So now fast forward to 2022 I have the fortunate job of teaching adventure education full-time in the health and physical education program at Melbourne High School, uh, three full marking periods a year. Now, I'm adventurous, but I'm not going outside in December, January, February. So um, I take a marking period off and I, I teach health to our freshman population. But we're fortunate at Melbourne to have indoor adventure education as well. We have seven climbing stations indoors. So um, we're able to maintain a high level 
no pun intended there, a high level of venture education year long. It's, it's a great one. I love that we have that connection to Chris as well uh, in terms of in, inspiring us to then pursue this career. If people listen to this podcast before knows that Chris was the person that hired me at High Five. The thing that I'm, I'm fascinated with when it comes to your story is you, you said you had the passion that out of these three, you were the person that stuck around and had that passion and had that drive. How did you manage to take that passion and then translate it into representation when it came to the school environment and said, advocation for this being a program. I interact with a lot of phys ed teachers who I train, and often they struggle being able to fit in this into an into a phys ed program, into their year school program. It seems like now you're doing it all the time. Obviously, it didn't start that way. So what was the process by which you were slowly able to embed this into a full-time program? It, it truly was seeing the outcomes in the classes and going from a beginner program where it was new to everyone to having students sign up marking period after marking period after marking period. Again, we're an elective physical education program. So if a student wants to take the class three different times in a, in a school year, they could. So starting to see the energy grow and the passion grow and my knowledge, which pretty much went from ground zero to what it is now to have that grow and be able to have the confidence to teach new games, new skills, you know, design course uh, elements that we added on really, you know, has motivated me. Not only that, but like, like you said, when you, when you go to present and you see that you're helping other teachers and you're helping other people and then they're turning key in it and taking it back to their classroom, you feel really good about what you do. And it's an energy that, I don't know if a lot, a lot of people understand, probably this, this uh, listening audience will, but it's, it's a positive energy and it makes you want to show up to work every single day. It's, it's the success stories, the human connection piece, coming in and connecting with brand new students um, at the beginning of a new school year and have mostly the majority are all freshmen and seeing the, the wide-eyed look on their faces. And then, you know, I told them fast forward eight weeks to mid-November, you know, my goal is for them to walk out of my classroom saying, wow, that was an amazing marking period of physical education. Don't call it gym. Call it what it is. It's physical education. And then seeing them come out of their shells throughout the marking period. You know, we start off not knowing each other. And then before you know it, we're all friends. I have a, I have a saying that, you know, I use the learning zones. I have the, you know, the comfort zone, the stretch zone, and the panic zone. And I say that you have in my class, you have your comfort friends, people you know, you have your stretch friends, you kind of know, and you have your panic partners. And those are the kids you don't know. For example, maybe a ninth grader does not know a senior because their classes are mixed. My goal as your facilitator is by the end of these eight weeks, no more panic partners. Everyone has built a relationship. Everyone has experienced the power of human connection. And like, for example, today, I didn't take attendance, Phil, probably for about 15 minutes in the first class because I got them in. I sat them down. Every single uh, student had a rubber chicken in their hand as a prop to manipulate and feel safe with. And then we hit them up right away with Ubuntu cards. And we did all about me. And before you know it, they're walking around, they're using the cards, they're talking about their interests, their hobbies, their passion based off the picture. And then I took the attendance once they were done playing. And you could just tell on their faces that they got it. 
they got it. And I also, I do, I try to do a good job of explaining the why, the so what, why are we doing this? Why did I not start off with content? Because connection's way more important. You know, connection in the classroom is way more important. And even when I, when I transition into the health room, I'll spend 10 minutes doing a, a team building activity, an icebreaker, an SEL game to build connection before we get into the difficult subjects, you know, in a health class. And it's, the benefits are tremendous for the students. So, you know, that's what I look for. And that's why I joke around when I say I have the greatest job in the school. Now I do work, I, I do work five minutes from my house. So I live locally. I don't have a long commute. I have wonderful facilities. So I am truly blessed you know, that I have this in my life. And for the past 18 years, it's driven me. And someone said, you know, how much longer can you go? And I said, easily to 65, easily, you know? So another, I would say another 15 years of, of high energy, high level adventure education, as long as, you know, the good Lord grants me that opportunity. Um, I wake up and I'm excited to go to work. And that's just sums it all up. One thing I want to highlight that you mentioned the notion of doing activities even before taking attendance. One of the things I think is a pitfall that I see a lot of places do is they do names initially when they get there. So a class rocks in and they just want to go around and ask everyone their names. And you you haven't created the opportunity for learning, for observation. You haven't got rid of some of the awkward tension. I love that you mentioned as well this notion of panic partners. One of the things that I enjoy about having these conversations is that we all use a lot of the same tools, but we work with different populations. I have never heard that reference before in terms of the social conformity of a classroom space at a teenage level. I think that's a really interesting way to look at the challenge zones where you've taken this framework and you've replied it to the work that you do. But I think that those things are really important spending the time with the people before you get into the content of what you're doing. And I wish other people, other teachers, maybe even in the school system could listen to this and take from that. Is there a way that you embed the kind of program is isolated to just that department or do you use it for uh, faculty development? Do you use it as part of the holistic program in the school as well? Uh, that's a great question because I recently was asked by district administration to be part of a training session for new teacher orientation. And then unfortunately it didn't work out, but this person said, next year we have to have you on. My district administrators, superintendent, assistant superintendent, principals, they know that I do beyond just the school stuff. I take this out into the field and I'm a national presenter at health and physical education conferences all over the country. This past year, I did one for Dale Sidebottom, a virtual one down in Australia, which was a global summit, which was really cool. So I do try to spread the good news of adventure education and the positive outcomes all over the place. I bring it into the classroom. You know, I have done sports teams here at Melbourne High School. One of my greatest facilitation sessions I had last year was with the uh, women's volleyball team which was awesome because it was just coming off the whole virtual. And it was like the first time I had presented in a long time. And even though it was a local presentation, it was just, it was so much fun. I've done our student peer leaders, which are like student ambassadors. I do a whole program with them. So yes, it is branching out. My ultimate would be, I would love to do a parent advocacy program. The, the biggest pitfall there is of course, medical insurance. And insurance, if, you know, you have a mom or a father or a parent up on something and, and something goes wrong, they get hurt, they have heart issues. I thought it'd be an awesome idea to have the students belay and have their parents climb. And what a great way to advocate the program and um, our facilities, which, by the way, is 100% 
community donated through the Melbourne Education Foundation. I mean, I have been blessed the last 18 years to have the Melbourne Education Foundation, which is a parent organization through the school district, donate thousands upon thousands of dollars. I have a really cool one coming up. I know we're a little off subject here, but a really cool project in the works right now. The pandemic wiped out our our challenge course, and we talked about students designing a new challenge course. And I had students design elements, and I took one of my favorite elements that was designed in the fall of 2020, and I submitted it for a build for a grant uh, through the Ed Foundation in Melbourne. And the grant was accepted last winter, and I received $10,000 to have this massive element built. It's going to be, picture this, it's a 30-foot tall, 30-foot wide vertical cargo net. And inside the cargo net are going to be a plastic type fiberglass, royal blue letters that spell Melbourne. Climber will go up and traverse from the M all the way down to the N while on the cargo net in letters. And we're calling it Melbourne Strong because, number one, you got to be physically and emotionally strong. But it comes from a time period when the whole community had to bond together and connect. So the fact that a student designed it, and they're, they're doing it, they're, they gave it to us, is amazing. And it's, it's such a great story. And, and something good from that pandemic and that time period is coming to the challenge course. A tie into how do you start an adventure program in your district or school would be to utilize the strengths and the words and the voice of the community that are going to use it. Because that way they're going to be built into the program. And there's investment, not just monetary investment, not just the teacher's investment, but community investment, which helps grow programs. So often do I see school programs that disappear when the champion, air quotes, such as yourself, leaves or retires or whatever reason. And then you've got all of this stuff in the air and no one actually skilled and comfortable using it. So it's about developing a community program that feels invested in, that people want to feel invested in. And that that question actually has come up. With you doing all these trainings, you know, is this something that you're looking to, are you looking to leave education and become a full-time facilitator? What are we going to do? No one else is trained. Last year, I went through spine surgery. I was out in the winter, you know, out of school with the disc replacement in my neck. You know, when I came back, I had a five-pound weight limit. So, you know, there was a lot of question, what are we going to do? And uh, luckily, I mean, knock on wood, I recovered fully and I was able to facilitate this summer, you know, modify, but I'm back to full strength. And I keep telling them I'm not going anywhere five minutes down the road. And I don't know if you've noticed this, but I do enjoy what I do. So, uh, I don't want to, I don't want to like end this relationship because it's a, it's a pretty awesome one. And I, I feel like administration's on board, the community's on board and the kids are definitely, the students are always on board. Well, and the benefit for people listening to this is that there's always the opportunity when you create a project that is so passion focused and driven, but also heavily invested in that you have the potential down the line to start to cultivate a next generation of person to replace you when the time comes when you want to, that you've got systems built in place that someone can transfer. It's not just the Mark show. So I think that that is an important distinction when you're doing something to really build into a program. Hey friends, so let's talk about Ubuntu cards. Now they are a multifunctional deck of cards that can encourage a group to interact, find connections, have fun, problem solve, and more importantly, 
they can be used to spark conversation. Now included within the deck are directions for 13 different games and initiatives that you can use. What I'm going to do is I'm going to throw a link into the description of this episode so you can find out how to buy these cards. Note that if you are to bulk buy, aka if you buy six or more, there are options for a discount code all the way up to 20% off your order if you order 36 or more decks. I highly recommend using them. I use them all of the time in every single program. And you can reach out to me by going to our vertical playpen and direct messaging me if you have any questions about the use of them, and I'll happily help you out. Okay, back to the episode. I wonder if you could go to, you don't have to go into like complete full detail, but what do you do in this eight week program with these students? If someone was listening and thinking, oh, I'd love to consider replicating an adventure program in my school or my district. What's the process by which you take these kids? How often do you see them for how long? Absolutely. We see students four days a week and the current class periods are 43 minutes. So 43 minutes, four times a week. The other day they go to a science lab. We start off on the ground. We start off on the ground with all your icebreakers, name games, trust builders, problem solvers, SEL activities. But while we're doing that, everything is focused on the big picture. So for example, if there's a game that involves you to pay attention, we talk about how when you're on a ballet station six weeks from now, you do need to pay attention. Around week two or three, I start to introduce equipment, harnesses, carabiners, helmets, start putting them on. Why are we putting these on if we're not climbing? So when it does come time to climb, we've gotten past the mistakes. You know how to double back. You know how to do a hand check on your harness. I teach them how to tie the essential climbing knot. Uh, They have to do a four-finger bite, and I actually do an assessment on it Uh, because every student comes in, especially as a freshman, they don't know how to tie it. And then their their growth measurement is, you know, at the end, can they tie a well-dressed figure eight knot with six inches of tail at the end, a four finger bite. And are they willing to climb on it? You know, and then I'll pull Phil, you got to climb on my knot. I have to climb on your knot. And then you're, Whoa, we better learn how to tie these. So we do a lot of technical skills. We do low elements. We have nine low elements. They love the 12 foot climbing or the 12 foot commitment wall. That's one of their favorites. We have middle level elements. So we have three middle level, which are at 15 feet. Uh, I was able to put them underneath our high elements. So they still have to be in a belay system. They still have to belay and be on harness, and, but they're not going up all the way. And then we go all the way up. And outdoors, we have 10 high elements. Uh, we have typical cable crossings. We have wood bridge crossings. We have a catwalk with two people on it, vertical playpen, uh, zip line, pamper pole, and flying squirrel, which they absolutely love. I tell them, look, we may not get to everything, but we're going to switch things up. And we normally have, I have about five or six elements open per day. And we utilize a belay team. Uh, They have to pass a belay exam. I utilize my older students who have taken a class before as kind of belay mentors. So they are, you know, going through the cues and the commands and watching the hands. We have anchors, we have uh, backup belays, we have rope collectors. We have a team of four on the belay plus two ladder holders plus the climber. So for every climb outdoors, you need eight people, which is why our favorite phrase, 
I am because we are, is the motto in adventure education in Melbourne High School. You cannot climb or do anything without the help of others. And that's not even mentioning like getting off the retrieval system for the zip line or, or something like that. You know, so the goal is work your way from the ground, teach the essential skills, apply the essential skills, and then, you know, the stages of group development, forming, norming, storming, performing is always there. Performing always happens. And there's a time at the end of the marking period, probably early November, where I'll say, everyone freeze. Take a look around. And they look around and maybe you've got five kids climbing, five full belay groups. And you're like, look what you did. Look what you did. You know, and that's like the aha moment we talk about when you're like, wow, look at us. So um, that's the goal. And then indoors, obviously, when we're indoors, all that stuff in seven elements indoors are all straight up and down ladders. There's no traversing elements. So it's cargo nets, it's climbing walls, it's centipede ladders, prussic climbs, you know, things like that. So uh, which brings a whole different type of climb, you know, because, you know, the climb starts right away. You're not climbing up a ladder and on staples, which most kids can easily handle. It's once they get up on the traversing element that the, the panic sets in when they just get the wiggles and the shakes. Something that I often will get from um, school phys ed teachers will be, well, we only have a 42, 43 minute block of time. How do I actually ever get anything done? And what you've mentioned in there, which I think is super essential, is teaching them how to use the harnesses, teaching them some of that stuff, even before they ever get to climbing. And they may not even climb. They'll put the harness on, they take it off in the session and they never use it. But what we're forgetting and what is missed is the skill acquisition, is that skill acquisition and confidence and comfort with those things. So by the time they get to climb, there isn't this big jarring leap from not doing any to then learning all of this stuff and also climbing. I think that progression is so essential. Uh, absolutely. And, and like when we're doing that, like it's not like I'm spending a half hour teaching them how to put harnesses on. It's maybe a 10 minute block. And then we'll do, we'll do a trust builder and a problem solver. You know, I'll show them how to take off the harness. So they're not like, you know, just throwing them back in the box in the bin as a mess. I'll, I'll always give them the reasons to make their life easier with the equipment, like open up the straps all the way before you put your feet in. Cause you don't know who had it the period before how to properly open up a carabiner without getting bit, you know, but then you're always going to hear that one child, like, Ouch, you know, because they did it the wrong way and, and they get it. They get it. It is possible. It's totally possible. I could tell you this, uh, and you've seen my course through video and pictures mm -hmm. and stuff like that. It's about four fields away. So when I go outside in the morning, I'm down there for the whole morning and the whole afternoon. You know, I have a walkie talkie, cell phone, all that, but I'm so far away from the school. It's like I'm not even at the school sometimes. So there's a lot of time in between classes because the students come out to me and then go back up with the security swipe card. There's a lot of time for pondering new ideas and thoughts when you're down there with the, the, the animals, the birds or whatever chirping. And I was sitting there one day going, I got 30 foot elements. There's a lot of space underneath that catwalk. I wonder if, and I'll call up my vendor and I'll say, Hey, are you able? And he's like, yeah. The cool thing was I added the middle level elements to, to Milburn, saw the success and then when I took the job at Camp Riverbend, I noticed that a lot of kids, the younger kids, were really struggling with our tree circuit, which is like five or six traversing. Uh, it's a static course. Mm -hmm. So five or six things strung together. And I said, let's just use the space underneath. Now we have a low circuit at 15 feet, a high circuit at 30 feet. And the, the participation level and the, 
the completion of the course is so much better. Same thing with our leap of faith. We had a 30-foot platform for five-year-olds. And I said, why can't we put a second platform in that tree at 16 feet? They're not going to touch the ball, but they'll at least climb up and jump. So now when they climb up, when they come, they have to first jump off the, the middle or the low platform. And if there's no panic, no fear, and they choose to, challenge by choice, then they'll go up to the 30. You know how many kids will go to the 16-foot platform and say, I don't want to go higher? Because the first couple of years, we, were, we had to go up and you know, lobster claw up, pull the kid off the tree, and it was bad. And I said that you need to have lower, lower elements where they still can get their climbs in. So that is a great use of space. And if anyone's listening out there who's got a, a pole course or a tree course and there's space underneath, you can save a lot of money by reusing poles. Always considering choice and how your uh, activities flow is really helpful, especially when you've got the ample opportunity, especially in a school year, to be able to go through these developmental opportunities as they go through that entire school year. What you were so, sort of highlighting by that by your progression is almost like the experiences I have in a five-day training where I'm there for full five days. That's 40 hours of training. So if you divide that by your school year, you're getting that amount of time and what I really love, and you mentioned this, is that emotional moment for me as a facilitator or a trainer, when I get to look out on the crowd and see the group has set stuff up themselves, they've tied the knots themselves, they're belaying each other, and I said nothing. When I say nothing, that's that proud papa feeling for me. And I mean, like, that's it, task done. And you probably experience that every single session. Absolutely. Absolutely. Or when they come down and they say, what can I do to help set up? You want to talk? Okay. So now what I do is I'll pull the ropes in the morning. And I'll have, once the students have learned the knots, I'll let them tie the knots and then they have to come call me over and see, and I'll check it. I'll inspect it. And the feeling that they have when I say, Phil, you tied a perfect knot. This is good to go. Cause now like, I, you know, I did that and it's really great, you know? And then the one thing I, I said to him today, I said, the cool thing about our program at, at the high school, Melbourne high school is situated about 15 minutes from Newark airport. So we're, 22 miles from the city, from New York City. It is a highly academic institution, one of the best academic high schools in the state and definitely up there in the country. There's so much stress for these students, so much, so many real social, emotional issues going on in their lives. I said, think about this concept. You go from AP chemistry, period four, to adventure education, where you jump off a 30-foot pamper pole up to AP Euro history. I go, how awesome is that? That you are able to leave the academic world, walk outside, put your trust and your faith in your classmates and pull something off. You know, I will always tell my students to document their climbs, have your friend take a video, take a picture. And immediately when you come down, text your parents at work and say, look what I did in school today. Because everyone's so academic driven no one ever asked their child, what do you do in gym class? You know, so when, you, when they send the pictures to the parents at work, you should see the text we're coming back. Are you serious? You know, because the parents are like, oh my gosh, my, my child. The other thing I try to do is advocate through video around the school and things like that so that people know we have this program. Beyond even the adventure aid, I think that this is the stuff that we get to do in this work, and I think everyone listening knows this, is that we all have the best jobs because what we end up doing is we're teaching people life skills through a, just a tool and a medium that is the ropes course, but we're doing far greater than 
the ropes course and tying knots. It's about that skill acquisition. It's about empowering the next generation. And I thank you for the work you do because I'm, I'm always very impressed by the intensity of the passion of which you're doing and putting out into the world and showcasing the great work that we do in the school environment. And I, as, as well as you do, advocate any school teacher listening to employ their school into having an adventure program. Because I think get past the visual, it's not just climbing, it's all about the growth and the intentionality with the work that we get to do, which is so important. How, Mark, can people reach out if they want to and how can they find you? Absolutely. I mean, some of my greatest heroes in this field, I met through reaching out. You know, I, I took I took it upon myself to reach out and said, I need help. Can you help me? Especially during the pandemic. I have a Twitter account that is professional for health and physical education, our professional learning network. And people can find me at Adventure Ed Guy. I'm on Instagram, adventure.ed.guy. And uh, I have a lot of videos and things up on TikTok. All right. And that would be at Adventure Ed Guy. And a lot of my stuff from uh, camp is up there. And of course, there's a YouTube channel. If you search uh, Mark Friedrich, Adventure Ed Guy, uh, you're more than willing to, or, you know, you can reach out to me, teachers who are listening, reach out to me. And uh, I love to talk shop and I'm more, more than willing to help because honestly, 18 years ago, I didn't have a clue what I was doing. And I got to where I am today by asking for help and learning from the best people. So uh, there's nothing wrong with that. It's like I'm giving back. So if you are a teacher and you're trying to get an adventure program from the ground up started, please reach out to Mark. He is a great resource. So please reach out to Mark and he will be happy to help. Uh, Mark, thank you for joining us on the podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure to get in a chat with you. Um, I feed off your passion. So thank you for doing the work you're doing. Thanks for having me. So thank you everyone for joining us in this episode. I hope you found value in it. Once again, please reach out to either myself or Mark if you want any additional information. We are both happy and willing to help. Please, if you can, share, follow, rate, review, all the things that you know what to do and I've asked every single episode, but please can you do those? Those are super helpful. And especially if you found value in this episode, share it with any person or people that you think would find this valuable certainly helps and it would help them so thank you and stay safe and stay connected see you on the next one thanks for listening to vertical playtime and then what about thanks for listening to high fives podcast can you do it okay try thanks for giving i think i'll pass the guy